Uh, now we're going to go to the Skype Maker Hotline for Brother <laughs> Andre Marie. And the Latin term for this kind of stupidity I'm describing is stultis or stultus? Well, uh, stult, stultus, that's fool. Oh, stultus is a fool. Well, I yeah, guess stultus, that describes... Okay, that describes... Stultitia is foolishness. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what is the word for imbecile? Um, well, actually, we get that from Latin, uh, Im, uh, Im, Im, imbecilius, I suppose. Yeah, it's a Latin word. Okay. <laughs> so if something is stultifying, then it's foolish. Yeah, uh, yes. Okay. That's right. Uh, well, brother, uh, do they think we're dumb idiots like them? I mean, they, they were, how, how many, I, I lost track of three contradictions uh, in Senator Graham's one minute of speaking. Well, if they think they were idiots like they are, I think that entails a contradiction because it means that they it means that they have enough um, uh, logic to d judge that we are idiots and to articulate that. Whereas, if they're really idiots, I don't think they could make that judgment. <laughs> so uh, it's a, I think it's an either or situation. It's not a both and. I mean, look, you know, these are politicians, so I think we're entitled to be um, unimpressed. And I think we're also entitled to be a little bit cynical. I mean, I'm not making any accusations, but really, I mean, how much how how much are these people getting their line uh, pockets lined by drug companies? Uh, it's a fair question. KVT in our chat room reported earlier today per a English tabloid newspaper that Bojo uh, just ordered 30 million more doses of the Pfizer jab. And here's the kicker. They were previously paying 18 pounds per jab. The new agreement is they pay 22 pounds per jab. So people that say there's no monetary interest here. Uh, yes, there is. There most certainly is. My question is, how much is <laughs> you can't spend all the money you already have? Why do you need more? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's not it's not always about money. It's often about the power that comes with it. Um, so it's yeah, it's 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 diabolical. I mean, they want. They want the money, of course, and they want all the fun they can have with the money, but they also want the power. And I think that's really and, – and there are there – are, I think there's a complexus of agendas behind this, Mike. It's not just one thing. It's – you know, there's, the, there's the, 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 the drunk companies making their money. There's the population control fanatics having their agenda uh, pa passed through. It's the big government people getting their agenda passed through, the globalists getting their agenda passed through. Um, and I mean, I, honestly, I think this is one of the things that explains Trump is that he's 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 uh, OK, I'm going to give an unpopular opinion. Perhaps he's a non-globalist big stater. He wants America to be at the top of the heap and um, he's anti-globalist, but he was on board with the vaccination. So he's he's obviously swallowed a whole tremendous part of this evil agenda. Yet he's not he's anti-globalist. So that makes a lot of people think he's like perfect. But he's not. So, I mean, we can't expect salvation from politics because there is no salvation in politics. Yeah, uh, indeed. Uh, but we are told, though, if you just put the right political figure in there and the right ones, rather, and they turn this regulatory knob, like uh, the, the Goldilocks into three bears, 
just right. And if the one on the left turns his knob just left and we get the perfect mix, then we get politi- uh, we get political paradise here on this earth. It really is. Um, uh, and, of course, this isn't by their design because they wouldn't design something that would be to their detriment. Uh, but the current... Uh, what we've been through the last 18 months should be proof positive uh, for anyone that didn't have it already or needed it that government cannot marshal and run people's lives or societies. It has a role. It does have a role. I think we all acknowledge that, brother. Um, but it, it, its role is not plenary. God's role is plenary. Um, and we're just seeing, you know, right now, Every newspaper in every state that I, people send me lots of stories. I read lots of what's going on out there. Every uh, uh, every state is being to- told, go into a state of panic right now. The Corona Doom, Delta Doom variant is worse than any disease we've ever seen in the history of mankind. And if you don't do exactly what we say you're going to do, you're going to get it. This is a rinse and repeat of March through June uh, 2020. They're doing it now. Uh, the great uh, August new normal reset. Um, uh, I I would hazard a guess, brother, and I want to think that there are a lot less people that are going to buy into it. are going to go along with it this time. Um, but th- they're contradicting them and themselves. Nothing that they have prescribed to deal with this has worked. But it's evident. Yeah, yeah, but of course, keep in mind the evidence that you see is going to be something that they just twist into something else. For instance, the so-called Delta variant, which I heard a doctor say last night was basically caused by the by the jabs. Yes. Yeah. Did you see that like six minute video of the doctor in some place in I think he's in Illinois giving testimony to uh, a a city uh, board, school board, or something? Um, And he's extremely eloquent. He makes all kinds of interesting arguments, doesn't drop a beat. He's not screaming. He's not ranting. He's not upset. He's, he's a family physician, and he, and he makes a point that none of the measures that they're about to implement will help. It will only make things worse, and here's why we'll never fix this thing. And he gives the scientific basis for why you cannot get rid of a coronavirus, and we've never successfully been able to. It's simply going to be with us. And he talked about the treatments that he's using that are effective. Um, did you see that video floating around? Uh, Maggie is trying to tell me something about it. Uh, okay. Who was that? That's it. That's it. Dr. Cole. So Dr. Ryan yeah. Cole, the video that we played. Yes. Yes. We played that. Yeah. Yes. So, so, so that, uh, I mean, um, you know, he, ba- he basically said in that context of, of, of making his argument that you, the, the, we never get upticks of respiratory illnesses like this during the summer. Uh, the jabs are responsible for this uptick, and people people could have told you that that was going to happen because of what do they call it? Enhanced, um, um, I, forget, I forget what they call it, but um, oh no, bro- brother, quickly! It was Dr. Dan Stock, and to the Mount Vernon School Board, uh, Mount Vernon, Indiana. That's the that's that's the uh, that's the audio clip that you're talking about, Dr. Dan Stock. Okay, that is the guy. Yes. yes. <clears throat> So look, I mean, we can play it again, but it was fantastic. You know, that video, they tried to take it down and people had already grabbed it. We're getting wise to them, right? (laughs) So people had already grabbed it and made their own copies. It just keeps popping up on Facebook now, I'm told. 
Uh, yeah, it's on. It's also on uh, Gab. I just threw in the link to the thing on Gab. But but he talked. He talks about how, you know, there's a history of the coronavirus attempt attempts at making coronavirus vaccines, and in all cases, they killed so many animals in the animal testing because of this. Um, it, it's this sort of enhanced, this immuno-enhanced reaction that your immune system. Yeah, you get the antibodies in your system from the vaccine. But once you're introduced to the thing in nature, the, re- the reaction's worse. Your your immune system ends up sort of destroying itself. And he said, you know, people could have told you that, that was going to happen, but they did this anyway. I, in other words, my point is this, Mike. A guy like this is a rare bird. He comes along and points out what's really at work here. But all he has to do is be flagged by fact checkers as a conspiracy theorist not, who's not following the science. And people like us who get excited about what he's saying, of course, are, you know, just idiots online trolling people, telling them that they have to listen to this guy because Soylent Green is people. Yeah. And at the end <laughs> of the day, at the end of the day, when they create their new little, uh, uh, you know, uh, virus created Delta um, variant, they're going to tell us that this is yet more proof that we need to get vaccinated. That, that, that every, every, no matter, it's like global warming, Mike. No matter what the science says, it proves global warming. That's even right. If you can, even if you can <laughs> prove it's cooling trends. And, and that shows you that it's unscientific. No matter what the data is, it proves my theory. Uh, and I want to just, uh, for, for clarity's sake, it's called ADE, brother, antibody dependent enhancement. Thank you. That's so, it. A- a- I have ADD, so I couldn't remember ADE. <laughs> Antibody dependent enhancement. Thank you. So, so ADE, and this is another clip that we played on this show last week, right here on the Crusade Channel, where uh, people are. Uh, I, I got a compliment from uh, Eric Sammons of Crisis Magazine yesterday. He's saying, "Mike, that's why we need Crusade channels out there. We need media outlets that can't be shut down." And uh, uh, or 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 resistant to being deplatformed and shut down because we have to. We can never stop pursuing and repeating and uh, 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 standing by uh, and defending the truth. The truth always has to be defended, uh, no, no matter how difficult the task is. Um, brother, we can come back to this because there's so much to talk about, so much fertile ground today. Um, but uh, August is a month of great. Saints in the Catholic Church and on the, and the Catholic calendar. Um, <clears throat> for example, today we have, oh, Susanna, oh, don't you cry for me. No, we have Saint Susanna, Saint Philomena, and uh, there's a third one. Who's the third one? Well, uh, I mean, of course, the, the big the big feast, of course, in August is the Assumption of Our Lady. That's, um, that's Sunday, too, by the way. Yeah, that's going to be the Sunday. That's right. This coming Sunday. But today's uh, St. Peter Favor. I, you know what I saw? That? I saw that at Catholicism.org. Uh, that's right. <laughs> a founding member of the Jesuits. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about today is yesterday's feast was a really big uh, uh, feast on the calendar, and that is the Feast of St. Lawrence. So Richard Barrett and Maggie O'Connell were both born on the Feast of of St. Lawrence. Brother, uh, Dawn Prosper's uh, description of of St. Lawrence is uh, 12 pages long. That means there was an awful lot to to, to tell about the the life of what we know as St. Lawrence. Uh, 
What can you tell our listeners about St. Lawrence? Well, uh, the reason that Domgar and Jay's reading for him is so long is because Domgar and Jay looks at things very historically and, and sort of, sort, as far as sort of big historical pictures. And he has it that when St. Lawrence was martyred in the year two. 258, that that was basically the death knell of Roman paganism, not Roman paganism in globo, but Roman paganism specifically in the city of Rome. Um, it wouldn't be a lot longer after that, uh, that uh, the the um, Edict of Milan comes out. Yeah, it's 258, the Edict of Milan's not until 313, I realize that. But uh, there's, a, there's an awful lot of setup that's happening here. And Roman, Roman paganism sort of, um, the, the enthusiasm from, for Roman paganism dies around the time of the martyrdom of St. Lawrence. First of all, uh, he was a Spaniard. He was not a native uh, of Rome. So those of us of Spanish blood are particularly proud of that fact. Um, he was he was a, a deacon, so he had the uh, order of the diaconate, that is the, the first sort of level or gradation of the sacrament of holy orders, which comes in three levels, you know, diaconate, priesthood, and uh, episcopacy. And that's what we call most, that's why we call the traditional way to refer to priests uh, technically is to refer to them as priests of the second rank because they were above, they were below bishops who are priests of the first rank, who are namely, um, they have the fullness of the priesthood. So St. Lawrence was a deacon, and he's called an archdeacon because historically uh, th there were certain deacons who were entrusted with a lot of uh, administrative duties uh, by the bishop, and they were th they therefore were eventually given, probably not at St. Lawrence's time, so it's probably somewhat um, uh, it's probably somewhat anachronistic to apply the word to him, but. Um, that they, they received the honorific that went along with it of arch, huh? sort of like high deacon. Um, so the uh, so he was the archdeacon. He was he was the, the very close to his uh, bishop, who of course was the bishop of Rome, the Pope, Pope Saint Sixtus II. And his martyrdom was only a few days after uh, Pope Pope Saint Sixtus. So the um, the, the feast of Pope St. Sixtus was a few days ago on the calendar, and um, the, the part of the legends of St. I, I say, okay, keep in mind, a legend is something that ought to be uh, read. <laughs> That's what it means. Legenda in Latin literally means ought to be read. Huh? Uh, can I give you an example on a map? If you don't have any maps laying around, the bottom right-hand corner, there will be a legend. Yeah. Show you the scale, what a what a red star means, means the city, et cetera, et cetera. That's a legend. Uh, so uh, uh, just keep that in mind. Legend does not mean science fiction. <laughs> That's right. So so the the legend of Saint uh, Lawrence uh, tells us about his involvement with Pope Saint Sixtus, uh, which. Um, was interesting because Saint Saint Sixtus was when Saint Sixtus was going away to be. First of all, Saint Sixtus must be very humble in heaven because <laughs> liturgically he's overshadowed by the feast of the Transfiguration because his feast day is August sixth, and the Transfiguration has been raised in, in dignity over the history of the Church, so that um, he's kind of overshadowed. Now he does get a commemoration. On that day, but 
it's not a big feast. His feast day is not a big feast day. It's overshadowed by something bigger. Um, and now, popularly, he's overshadowed by his own deacon, by his archdeacon. And here he is, the Pope, right? He's popular In the popular mind, he's overshadowed by St. Lawrence. And I mean, pop, when I say popular mind, I mean for centuries. Um, uh, but when Pope St. Sixtus II was going away to be martyred, St. Lawrence wanted to accompany him. And uh, he said, uh, my, my father, you cannot go to offer sacrifice without your deacon. When do you ever do this? And he said, and St. Sixtus said, you'll, you'll follow me in a few days and your, uh, your confession will be more glorious than mine. Wow. So this is contained in the, in the uh, legends that are preserved in the church's liturgy uh, of, uh, of both of these saints. So the, the, the antiphons uh, that go with the Feast of St. Lawrence, which we prayed yesterday, are quite beautiful. And they have little snippets of, of the um, acts, the ancient acts of uh, St. Lawrence, where we get these quotes. Um, so he, of course, is known to have a wonderful sense of humor. Uh, because, uh, well, because of a couple of details of his martyrdom. First of all, I said that he was an archdeacon, and as archdeacon, he had certain administrative functions. Well, the, the deacons had, the, the popes had divided up the seven parts of the city of Rome and assigned them to seven deacons who uh, saw to the diaconal duty of giving out the church's alms. Now, as archdeacon, St. Lawrence would have been in charge of that whole thing. And he knew who the poor of the city of Rome were because he helped to support them. He helped, again, to give away the alms. And if you look at the image that we have on the excuse me on the catholicism.org page is a we have a beautiful image by frangelico uh which i'm going to pop in the chat room or at least i'm going to pop the the link where they can see it in the chat room somebody else can extract the image and stick it in there i can't double i can't multitask like that um but that that image shows him handing out bags of money, right, to to, to these rather uh pathetic looking uh Roman poor. Um now when, when so the the persecutors knew the the Roman pagan persecutors knew that Saint Sixtus, or rather Saint Sixtus's deacon, Saint Lawrence, was responsible for giving out alms. Therefore, he had access to the treasures of the church. So they 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 told him, "You must bring us the treasures of the ch- of your church." So he said, fine, meet me at, you know, such and such a time and such and such a place, and I'll have them all for you. I have to gather them together. So what he did was kind of pull the fast one on them. He had gathered together all of the poor who had depended upon the church, got them into one place, met the Roman persecutors there, and said, behold the treasures of the church, showing him all the poor people. Well, that didn't go over too well. <laughs> Because apparently they didn't exactly have a sense of humor like St. Lawrence did. And they determined that, well, uh, we're going to need to um, kill you now. So, uh, so mind you, he, he got away with not giving them the, 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 the gold or the silver or any of the sacred vessels or vestments or anything like that. He got away with that completely. But what uh, – uh, and the poor of the church were not endangered by this, by the way. Some people might look back at this and say, well, you know, that was stupid. He he just told the persecutors who all the Christians were. Well, at, at, at this time, 
and it, during the, during this persecution, it was not till later persecution that they started going after Christians, sort of in general. Uh, but during this persecution, they were really interested in going after the leadership of the church, and that's why you had a lot of popes martyred. First thirty popes are martyrs. That's why you had important other clerics like here the archdeacon saint lawrence being martyred so he didn't put those folks in any danger um now the, the, of course the second thing that gives us his uh, a specimen of his remarkable sense of humor is when he's actually being martyred on a gridiron you know basically he's being barbecued barbecued yeah so he, i guess he, he could be the patron saint of the barbacoa brotherhood <laughs> Uh, Actually, but it, but we took St. Vincent de Paul as our patron saint because of the charity work, but uh, good suggestion. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. I mean, hey, it's uh, you, you can always have another another patron saint. But so so the church has a sense of humor, too, and that's why we get, you know, him being a patron saint of, uh, of I think he's officially the patron saint of of. of, of cooks or something like that there's a there he has some patronages that that are a hat tip to his own sense of humor during his martyrdom but anyway he tells the 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 tormentor you know he tells the the roman soldier who's charged with you know killing him um i'm i'm done on this side turn me over and eat <laughs> uh, so a lot of people remember a lot of people heard the turn me over thing, but he actually says turn me over and eat. Um, so this is uh, this is a, one of the details of his martyrdom again, showing us his uh, his rather active sense of humor. And if you can do that while you're actually being burned alive, which is unpleasant, maybe he's um, the patron saint of comedians. <laughs> yeah, perhaps maybe and there are a number. I know Saint Genesius is one of those. He was an actual Roman actor. Um, but so so we have uh, so we have all of those things. He was. He was uh, responsible for supporting the poor. He was the Pope's right-hand man. I mean, Pope St. Sixtus was very dependent upon him. Historically, by the way, Mike, when you had fewer priests, and I mean, when I say priests, I mean priests of the second rank, you had deacons who were very, very um, important administrative figures in the church. And again, principally, there would be one who would be closest to his bishop who would— um, who would be the the essentially the most important man in the diocese after the bishop himself, and that that's also true of Rome, which is a diocese. Yes, it's the it's the it's the center of Christendom. It's the capital of Christendom. It's the it's the most important of all of the sees of the church, uh, but it still has a bishop at at, at its head, and you know, especially in these times before. The Vatican became the the kind of bureaucracy that it, that it has been for the last couple hundred years. Um, the the it, it ran just like every other diocese in the world. Uh, so you had a, a deacon who was going to be very close to the Pope, and that in this instance that was Saint Lawrence. Brother, is uh, my memory is a little foggy on this, but um, I I'm thinking that is Sixtus also in the liturgy of the Mass? The name. Yes. Okay. I thought I thought Sixtus was in there. We're speaking with Brother Andre and Marie at St. Benedict Center and the host of Reconquest Radio. Please visit his website and the store therein at Catholicism.org and sign up for Brother's Ad Rem newsletter. Uh, something that will arrive in your email box. Brother, do you, do you have an Ad Rem on tap? Is one coming up? Well, uh, not this week. Keep in mind, it's a fortnightly. 
uh, email. Uh, You're going to have so, to explain Fortnite to, <laughs> to uh, moderns. Uh, uh, once every two weeks. Once every two weeks. Okay. That's a, that's a fort a fortnight. It's it's not an evening that you spend at uh, Fort Knox. Uh, a, a fortnight is once every two weeks. So <laughs> so it's, it's fortnightly. Um, and really, I I don't write fast. Um, so uh, that's why I mean I, I just don't have the time to write uh, one one a week. But you can I, sign up uh, to get it at Catholicism.org. Indeed. Okay. I'm dropping a link to the latest one uh, in the in the in the chat room, and I'll and I'll actually, um, as I said, I'm I'm not good at double ta- multitasking, but I will find the the link where people can actually sign up for the ad rem and drop it into Ma- the chat room. No, brother, don't worry about it. Maggie will find it for you. Just keep talking. Um, uh, uh, the one of the, uh, the the you said the legend of Saint Lawrence. Uh, uh, one of the things that that fascinates me, uh, I don't know, if it's fascination is the right word, but um, in the way, in especially in the English speaking world, but it's true. I watch a lot of television, and it doesn't bother me to watch shows that are made in Spain with Spanish actors speaking Spanish and then reading English subtitles or French. Or Italian, and after a while, you start to kind of get the inflections, and even though you may not be able to completely understand it, you know where they're going with it. It's amazing to me is from the twelve apostles, as you know, they went out into the world. Uh, we have those names, and they are repeated in every language uh, that of, uh, of 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 the ancient world, and the the uh, of course the Romance languages that came. From uh, uh, or from Latin, uh, uh, but Saint Lawrence is the name. There, uh, you know, uh, I believe in your church area. There's a brother Lawrence, isn't there? That's true. Yes, there, there are Lawrences everywhere. So uh, know the how powerful and how uh, how loved and how admired and relied upon of a saint uh, Lawrence was. That we get the name Larry Lawrence, uh, and also come comes to mind Saint Nicholas. He's not an apostle, but how many Nicholas and Nickies and Nicks do you know? Um, I'm always just reminded that guys, you can try and leave the church. Church is all around you. <laughs> you try and yeah. leave Christ Church, you can't. You can't escape it, and that's a good thing, isn't it, brother? Oh, it's a wonderful thing. Um, in the case of, in the case of Saint Nicholas, the popularity of the name is interesting uh, because uh, unlike unlike Saint Lawrence, Saint Nic- Nicholas is a name that's popular both in Eastern Christendom and Western Christendom. And there's an historical reason for that because Saint Nicholas. Okay, so if you ask an Italian about Saint Nicholas, he'll say, "Oh, you mean Nicola di Bari, uh, Saint Nicholas of Bari." Well, where's Bari? It's in it's in southern Italy. And why is he called Saint Nicholas of Bari? Was he from there? No, he was actually from Myra, uh, in which is in modern day Turkey, uh, which is east of the Bosphorus, and which is the kind of which is which is why he's called Saint Nicholas of Myra by all of our Eastern brethren. The reason he's called Saint Nicholas of Bari is because his relics were translated from the east to the west. I think. 
I want to say by the Crusaders, I'd have to double check. The Venetians were really good at stealing relics and bringing them back to the <laughs> bring to the West. Um, I I think that's how he got there. I'd have to I'd have to fact check that, and I mean really fact check it, not fake fact check it. Um, but his transfer of these relics from uh, from Myra or from modern day Turkey. By the way, it's providential that that happened because otherwise the Muslims would have gotten their hands on them and destroyed them. That's right. Um, so the, his relics are in, are in Italy. So he's an Italian saint now. I mean, he's been adopted <laughs> by the Italians a long time ago. So he's Niccolo di Bari, and it's a very popular name in in um, you know Nic- Nicholas Copernicus, right? I mean, it's a popular name in 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 the West. Copernicus, of course, was a Pole. Um, but it you get the you get uh, lots of Nicolos uh, in 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 uh, in Italy, um, and you get Nicholases in um, in the East, uh, and of course the fact that he of course becomes Santa Claus uh, helps to to advance that cause. But um, you know with Saint Lawrence he was a, a, an important prominent um, deacon. His 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 feast is important on the church church's calendar. There's a lot, lots of sacred art, so he's going to be kind of popular in the Western uh, Latin Christian mind, and therefore, you know, you're going to have the various forms of his name, whether whether it's uh, uh, Lorenzo in Italy or 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 Spain, a similar spelling, um, or Lawrence in in in, in uh, English speaking in the in the Anglosphere. He's a popular person to name kids after. Uh, brother, speaking of popular names, uh, St. Laura's uh, being one, uh, Susanna, she's on today's calendar, St. Susanna. She's also a martyr. Yeah, she's a, a maiden martyr, not not a virgin martyr. She, she's a married lady. Um, and, yes, yeah, she... Uh, I I, I want to say she comes from comes from a family of saints, but I could be I could be wrong about that. Um, yeah, actually, yeah, she was the niece of a pope. She was, she was the niece of a pope. I read that she today. Was pope Saint Caius's niece. So yesterday we had one of these saints who's like you know, mom's a saint, dad's a saint, siblings are saints, you know. Um, <laughs> but Saint Susanna just you know had an uncle who was a pope saint, um, and she she died during the Diocletian uh, persecution. And she uh, she refused to marry his his own son-in-law Diocletian's son-in-law. So there's a church dedicated to her in Rome. And by the way, that expl- often explains the popularity of these saints and how they're maintained. I mean, you know, in, in order to honor them, we we name a church after them, or we name a shrine after them, or you know, sometimes we name a monastery or, or, or convent or whatever, and sometimes a city grows up around that convent, and that convent or monastery ends up being the name of the entire city, right? Right. Um, the, the city of Munich in German. What does Munich mean in German? Well, it's not Munich in German. It's, it's München. München. It's München. And Mu- München. München. And München means the monks. Does it? It means, it means monks. I did not it's know a, that. It's a plural word in German for monk. So why is it named that? Well, because there was a Benedictine monastery there, and the town grew up around the monastery and eventually becomes a very prominent city in Bavaria. So uh, sometimes you get these cities that have the name of St. So-and-so, and and you find out that the reason it is is because 
way back in antiquity, there was some hermit that lived there. He had disciples come to him. They ended up building a monastery. The monastery was named after him sometime after he died. And then a city grew up around the monastery, and they named the city after him, too. There are, there are numerous cities in, uh, in, in Europe that have names because of precisely that kind of uh, historical um, succession of, of events. Now, now uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, in Soviet, uh, in Russia, before it was the Soviet Union, you had St. Petersburg, which they turned, uh, they call it, was, was that the one they made, Vladivostok? Or? Uh, no, no, well, Vladivostok's an old Russian name. I think uh, St. Petersburg was uh, was Leningrad. Leningrad, Leningrad, Leningrad. Now, I believe they've restored it in St. Petersburg again. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Lenin's not. I, I get the idea that Lenin's not very popular in Russia. That's a good thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, brother, let's look. Let, we talked about Suzanne. We talked about St. Saint, Saint Lawrence. Uh, today is also the feast day. And I know a lot of people that have very, very strong, special devotions to the next one. And of course, we have our very own Sister Maria Philomena. Today is St. Philomena. Uh, the discovery of her relics is one of the greatest relic stories I've ever heard. Have you heard Father Wolf tell that story? Or maybe you heard someone else or know it from another source? Uh, I've read it elsewhere. I haven't heard Father Wolf tell the story. But, um, you know, she, she was, she, the, the relics were discovered in 1802. Yes. And uh, when 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 this intact tomb of a, of a martyr virgin was discovered, the only thing that they knew, they, they knew her name, they knew something about her social status, they knew that she was a martyr because of the palm branch. There were there were signs and there was text, very little text actually. In fact, the text got jumbled because of the some some re the tomb itself was intact, but some of the externals were a little bit uh, bashed up. Um, and it, I think on her tomb it said "Pax Tecum Philomena," uh, peace be with you, Philomena. Um, uh, there was but, a palm so they, branch, and according to Father Wolf, there was an arrow. An, an arrow, and and I think an, I want to say an anchor, um, but signs, s precise signs of her martyrdom were there, um, so that we knew that uh, this was a martyr, and, and and it was on, and and there were miracles that were associated with it. Yes. Um, so the the uh, very shortly after her uh, excavation of her tomb, miracles happened, and there was a very very public cure of a, of a of a French woman named Pauline Jaracot, who I think is uh, a venerable, and I think she's still just a venerable. Her cause I don't think has advanced beyond that. I could be wrong. Maybe she's blessed. I don't know. Somebody might be able to tell me. But uh, Pauline Jaracot. Uh, received a miracle of, 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 of a cure in 1835, and she was head of the uh, Universal Living Rosary Association, and she spread uh, the cultus of St. Philomena uh, by her extremely public apostolate. I believe she was a well-to-do lady, so she had resources that she could put at uh, the, the service of this kind of thing. Um, the one who really promoted her cause was the Curie of Ars. I was going to say, I got to do a little biography of St. Jean-Marie Baptiste Vianney on Sunday before Mass, and Father Damien did his whole uh, sermon on, um, <clears throat> on the Curie of Ars, the patron saint, a priest. 
Um, you know, brother, I was reading Don Prosper. Now, you want to talk about a bio? <laughs> Don Prosper might have been 20 pages long on the Curie of Ours. But I've also read two books on St. Jean-Marie Baptiste Vianney. Um, and every time I read any part of his story, it always makes me weep for joy. Uh, it's such a, uh, just like, man, I wish I would have been alive then. I could have gone to ours and met this man. <laughs> he was the most, uh, Don Prosper says, now this is him saying it, he was the most beloved Catholic priest ever. That more people came to see him as a priest and he was so beloved. Um, and, you know, they uh, look at what he left behind. I don't think there's any doubt uh, that the people of, of France, even at that very trying time, what he died in 1859, um, I think Napoleon III had a hand in uh, trying to give him an award or something, and he sent it back saying, I don't want it, uh, uh, take it back. Uh, <clears throat> but St. Jean-Marie Baptiste of Vianney had a devotion to St. Philomena. Um, brother, is this where the cult really picks up steam or, or speed? Yes, because, of course, he was a popular priest, as you just pointed out. And by the way, I, you know, St. John Marie Vianney died in 1858. That would have been during Dom Guerinjay's lifetime. Dom Guerinjay died as an old man in 1875. That, that sounds right. So so I, I don't think he possibly could have written an entry in the liturgical year for St. John Marie Vianney. Um, if, the, if, it's in, if it's in the liturgical year, it must have been added later. That's my guess. Um, or, I don't know, or maybe Doug, because it's in Doug's. It's not in Doug's version, but it's in the well, on, it, it's in the online version that Steve Cunningham has. Okay, because there are because there were. Uh, keep in mind, uh, it's like the Summa of Saint Thomas. There were additions made after after Dom Guerinjay died, or after he was no longer working on it. Um, so my assumption is that. Uh, that that would be the case there, but anyway, he was very very popular, and and because he attributed so many of the favors that he procured for people to Saint Philomena's intercession, and he had a little uh, sort of like an imitation. Um, he had an altar with uh, like a uh, 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 okay. So in Europe, you have these glass altars. You see them all over Saint Peter's Basilica and other places where inside. Of the glass, like like the the actual front, the altar frontal is glass, and the altar mensa is on top of this, and you see a saint's body inside of it. It's visible. Oftentimes they have a death mask or something. Sometimes they're incorrupt. Most often they're not. And and but even if they looked incorrupt, it's because there's this wax uh, that's covering the 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 uh, the bones. And they make it look like it's a real person. I mean, there was, sometimes these wax jobs are unbelievably beautiful. But um, the there he had a replica of that kind of altar, right? So he had this uh, statue of Saint Philomena laid down as if in death uh, behind the glass frontal of an altar. And he said mass on top of that. And he, by that very visible means as well as by, you know, spreading word, by his spoke, spoken word of devotion to her, he, he, he increased her popularity. So Pauline Jaricot's work in France, also um, the, the Curie of Ars' work in France. Yep. And since there were so many pilgrims from so many places that would have gone to Ars, 
they would have taken back that devotion uh, and knowledge of St. Philomena with them. So, the, those things all sort of conspired to add to her popularity. I also believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, even though I know you're not uh, big on private revelation, but um, that Anne, Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich had a vision of the life or the martyrdom of St. Philomena and uh, dictated it to the gentleman that wrote it, that wrote it down. Um, now, again, <clears throat> you're not bound to have to believe that, but I think I read it. Or, uh, I, I want to say that I've actually read that one, um, and it's a good one. Uh, but, brother, to the modern age now, St. Philomena, now the uh, the post -Vatican, Second Vatican Council, um, some people will tell you, if you say St. Philomena, they will tell you that, oh, well, that's just a legend. Church doesn't celebrate her on the calendar anymore. That's just a, it's just a story they made up for little girls so they, you know, they wouldn't do this or that or the other. Um, this is unfortunately true. And uh, I actually had someone tell me that, you know, this St. Philomena is not real, right, Mr. Church? And I went, uh, excuse me? She most certainly was. Uh, this is an unfortunate consequence of uh, what Chris Ferrara calls the cult of novelty. Yeah, I mean, Pope St. Pius X uh, didn't have kind words for people who said that. Specifically talking about the devotion to St. Philomena, he said this, I have a direct quote here, to discredit the present decisions and declarations, meaning of the Roman congregations, concerning St. Philomena as not being permanent, stable, valid, and effective, necessary for obedience, and in full effect for all eternity— proceeds from an element that is null and void and without merit or authority. Well, there you so, go. Um, he was quite emphatic that you can't uh, just dismiss St. Philomena. And yeah, it was, on, it was on the strength of finding her intact reliquary, seeing from it that she was a martyr, and then a profusion of miracles, in some cases very public miracles. And um, now there were, you, you talked about uh, a private revelation to, was it Anna Catherine Emmerich? Yes. Um, it made, it, there were, I believe there were others. And this kind of added luster to the whole thing. Um, and yeah, okay, so somebody can say, well, you know, the Curie of Ars, he's not at the magisterium. That's true. True. But St. Pius X, he is. Uh, and and he made it clear. He made a clear judgment that based upon the evidence that they had, the 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 fact that she was clearly a martyr, um, and then all of the miracles that happened in the wake of the discovery of her um, relics, uh, all of this was suffi sufficient strength to add her uh, to the calendar and to promote a cultus to this to this servant of God. So. Um, it's it's ridiculous to to for people to question it. I mean, you may as well question devotion to any saint, you know, because uh, you know you may as well just join the ranks of those who say that, well, the saints are just creatures. They 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 can't do anything to help you. You know, they can't even hear your prayers. I mean, how can how can they hear? How can Saint Anthony hear all these people in all these different languages all over the world, all talking to him at once? Well, gee, I don't know. How is it that on the general judgment, all of us are going to see every deed that everybody else did, which is something that our Lord said? I don't know. Maybe him being God, he can somehow expand <laughs> and dilate 
the, the intellects of his creatures that he made. I mean, it seems to me it'd be pretty easy if you're God to do that sort of thing. Uh, uh, well within your powers. <laughs> yes. And, and by the way, we get a picture of it in the book of the Apocalypse where the saints in heaven see what's going on on earth and they're like, and they're praying for the people on earth who are in that part of the apocalypse suffering during the reign of Antichrist. So you've, you've got people who are clearly human beings in heaven, fully knowing what's going on on earth and offering up the prayers of those who are suffering on earth to almighty God. It's so clear from the book of the apocalypse. There's this tremendous liturgy going on in heaven with incense and everything. And, and the, it's the saints and angels offering up prayers to God for those on earth. They know what's going on on earth. I mean, they have like heavenly TV or something. I mean, it, I don't pretend to understand exactly how it happens. But we, we, we know that um, God has the power to take the human intellect, which is, after all, his creation, and expand its natural capacities to something greater. That's and right. we know that in the beatific vision, we will see God um, as, as he sees us. We will know, I will know as I am known, St. Paul says. So we're going to know a lot more in heaven than we know here on earth. Uh, Brother Andre Marie from St. Benedict Center and host of Reconquest Radio here on the Crusade Channel on our regular Wisdom Wednesday. If you missed a prior Wisdom Wednesday, another reason to support the Crusade Radio Station channel and the Founders Pass, uh, you would have access to all the previous episodes, whether we publish them publicly or not, simply by signing up today at crusadechannel.com forward slash go. Brother, since you mentioned the book of the uh, uh, apocalypse, <clears throat> some people call it the book of revelations. Uh, it is one of those books that has that is still used to this day, for example, by the arch heretic Dan Brown, for example, uh, to try and explain uh, uh, events in our modern world uh, through whatever heretical or blasphemous lens that they wish. But I was told, and I've never, it's a goal of mine to actually get that far in the Bible and actually read it from start to finish. I did see the tapestry at Angers, which if you ever get the chance to go back to France, brother, go to Angers or Angers and go see the tapestry. It It, it is mind-numbingly indescribable, and you can't believe that 13th century men and women made that thing. Uh, and they lost part of it. They have two-thirds of it. In any event, I was told that the book of the Apocalypse is a description of the Catholic Church, or is the book about the Church and what she does, represents, etc. Um, is that correct? Well, yeah. I mean, it's 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 a church history. Only it's a future church history okay. uh, from where it was from the time it was written. So some some of the events of the apocalypse have already happened. I mean, um, a, a, a lot of it is has to do with the early persecutions of the church, but of course, it remains as yet unfulfilled because it takes us pretty much to the bitter end. Uh, but it's yeah, it's it's the most difficult book of scripture to read. I don't, you know, possibly second to Daniel, but I actually think it's harder to figure out than the book of Daniel. 
And Daniel, <laughs> people don't, uh, people are probably going, Daniel, what about, why is Daniel hard to read? There's a lot in Daniel. As a oh matter of fact, get, get Maria Bartold's book, Fatima Signs and Secrets, because she spends chapters on the book of Daniel. Chapters on it. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, you know, when you, when you look at these, when you look at these televangelists, frequently, you know, they prove that current events are the fulfillment of this, that, or the other section of the most obscure books in Holy Scripture. The Apocalypse or Revelations, as it's called in, in, in most modern translations. The, and by the way, neither name, Apocalypse or Revelations, is improper for the book. Uh, the first word in Greek is Apocalypse, so that's why we name it that. But uh, the, um, the book of Daniel, some of the most obscure passages of St. Paul, these are the places where your televangelists, especially big Zionists who are telling us about what's going on in the Middle East as a, as a fulfillment of, of um, biblical prophecy, they want to show you, oh, you know, yeah, Saddam Hussein, that's Gog and Magog, you know. Oh yeah, great! You got it all figured out, dude. You know it. 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 Then or, or Hal Lindsey, somebody KVT just dropped the cover of the late great Planet Earth, which of course he prophesied that 1988, I think, was going to be the, the the Battle of Armageddon. And how this guy still makes money, still takes pilgrimage groups to to Israel, uh, is beyond me. It just goes to show you that just like you got people who have bought into the cult of COVID, you've got suckers born every minute who are going to fall for. Um, Hal Lindsey's, you well, know, brother, snake oil salesman type religion. Don't forget about the other, the dude who wrote the chariots of the gods. <laughs> He's right along the same timeline as, as Hal Lindsey there. Who wrote the chariots of the god? Uh, Eric Donikin. Eric, Eric Donikin. Yeah. Eric, I'm not familiar with him, but um, there's a whole. You don't need to be. You know, he's, yeah, he's the ancient aliens guy. If you ever watch the show Ancient Aliens, his number one resource living on Earth is Eric Donikin. So <laughs> it's funny how that, that kind of works out. Brother, we got just a few minutes left. I want to segue and I want to ask you a question about your and my favorite topic, and that is Philosophia Perennis. Uh, I believe it's uh, course number six in the eight-part uh, eight lecture series of Brother Francis that you can get at store.catholicism.org, and all of you should go get it, download it, and take the course. Strongly recommend it. The course in ethics, uh, Brother, uh, Brother Francis thought it was so important that he made an entire course out of ethics. So I'm in a little Twitter argument with someone who was insisting that Ethics are purely man-made, have no attachment to religion whatsoever, and uh, are, are, are entirely uh, created so that man could regulate his affairs among other men. <clears throat> but Brother Francis's explanation of ethics and why it's important to learn them has a lot to do with the four final things. And I believe if I remember, because it's one of my favorite ones, I think I've listened to it three times, um, it's one of the, uh, if you're look, looking to apply philosophy to our modern world, uh, to mystic philosophy, heavily inspired by uh, Aristotle, well, then ethics is one of those courses that you can. Uh, why did Brother Francis think it was so important to teach an entire, out of eight parts of his lecture series, on ethics? Well, first of all, he he's following the tradition there. He's, he's, he's not charting new territory okay. because ethics would have been one of the one of the tractates or one of the particular courses within the larger framework of any philosophical course 
worthy worthy of the name. Um, ethics pertains to to right behavior. You can have all kinds of um, elevated notions of, of of how the how the universe goes, what metaphysics are, and so forth. And if your behavior is is that of a of a wretch, uh, uh, then then uh, it it hasn't helped you very much. So e- ethics has to do with the art of living. You know how to be a, how to be a good person, moral moral goodness. You know what 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 the the theological tract that is the equivalent or the parallel to uh, ethics would be what we call moral theology. And of course, moral theology, just as in all of the theological uh, disciplines, where philosophy is the ancilla theology, the handmaid of theology, ethics is the handmaid in particular of what we call moral theology. So when St. Thomas writes about morals, he has reference, of course, to Holy Scripture, but he has also reference to Saint, to Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics and uh, to other, um, you know, natural philosophical ethical um, writings because these men had particular insights. I, I did look at the uh, t- Twitter spat that you had with that person. Yes. And um, so obviously this person's some kind of evolutionist nut job and believes that, you know, we've been around for all these hundreds of thousands of years. Uh, that being said, the fundamental thing he's missing is that the natural law, uh, yeah, of course, the ten, of course, humanity itself pre-exists the Ten Commandments. Of course. You'd have to be a, a, a biblical moron to say that humanity, you know, doesn't pre-exist the Ten Commandments. But the Ten Commandments were simply a written codification of the pre-existing natural law that was written on man's heart. St. Paul makes reference to the, 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 the Gentiles who had not the law uh, were a law unto themselves because of the law that God had written on their hearts. So the 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 natural I mean, God gave the, the the Israelites the the Hebrews actually uh, he gave them the um, gift of explicitly codifying in writing the Ten Commandments, but prior to that there were uh, there was the natural law and how is it that nations which were not the recipients of the Ten Commandments and which perhaps would not have even had a, a chance to have run into the revelation given to the Israelites. How is it that they had in their various legal codes basically a written codification of the same things, you know, not killing, not stealing, etc., etc.? Why? God wrote it on the heart. So, of course, there was an ethics that pre-exists um, Moses getting the Ten Commandments from God on Mount Sinai at the Exodus. Of course, there were uh, there was a moral law that preexisted it. There was a moral law with Adam and Eve. You know, Adam was accused of sinning. He w- <laughs> he was told he did wrong. <laughs> well, how could he have done wrong if he didn't know right from wrong? And how could he have known right from wrong if there wasn't some moral law that he had been given? Good explanation. Uh, anyway, it's a fascinating course, and you should all take it. Uh, uh, again, store.catholicism.org. You can start off with the, it's eight lectures for the preview, I believe. Uh, yes, yes. So you can get the preview, and uh, you'll, you'll get a, a lecture on each course that you're going to, that you would take, and uh, the course <clears throat> uh, that Brother is going to teach. Uh Brother, what what's on tonight's episode of Reconquest? 
Ah, tonight's episode of Reconquest, Mr. Church, is episode number 290, and it's called Freedom Coaching. Um, and I interviewed a, interviewed a gentleman named Steve Picorni, and uh, we talked about um, porn. <laughs> not, not in detail, uh, but we talked <laughs> about um, porn addiction and how people can be uh, healed of it. And um, Steve runs an outfit called Freedom Coaching. He's not the only coach. There are, are others. And um, it's a, it's a, he's come across a sort of a, a methodology of helping, to, helping people to overcome that addiction. And as that, that addiction, uh, which is, of course, a moral problem, is so pre- prevalent in society, um, I thought it was worth uh, addressing so uh, people, if you you know if you if you have that particular problem or if you're just asking for a friend, uh, you can <laughs> find links to his uh, web page. Uh, he's got a couple of different websites. One's called Redeeming Our Vision, and the other one's called RedeemingOurVision.com. The other one's called Freedom-Coaching.net. Um, but he puts out some good some good things, and I, I, it strikes me that his his methodologies are, are, are pretty solid, um, but you know he's like a personal sort of life coach for you on on that uh, in that area. So that's what that's what we talked about, and I think it was a pretty good conversation. He he seemed to to like the interview. Um, and before you uh, b- before you go, uh, there's an endless amount of Corona doom, Delta doom, whatever you want to call it. Now there's a Lambda doom out there. I don't know if you saw it today or heard about it, but the United States State Department is basically telling anyone that had any travel plans uh, to go to the Holy Land, you can't go. Wow. Now, uh, wow. because of COVID-19. Now, they don't say the Delta variant. They, they say, it says, COVID, I read it, it says COVID-19. This in a country uh, where they boast and brag that 73, 74% of all citizens have been double vaxxed, double vaxxed. Uh, they say a higher number have been single vaxxed. So as we are discovering here, and this is just another, I think, a rejection of God, of course, a rejection of the natural law, of course, they have to do that. And then the author of the natural law, the supernatural, um, by, incent- by continuing to insist that immunity it does not exist in nature. It is given to you by Pfizer or Mode RNA, Moderna, or Janssen and Janssen, or Haste uh, uh, or whatever company, Merck, whoever makes a, 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 a vaccine. Um, and so the evidence continues to just, the, the evidence is mounting. It's just, there's a mountain of it now. It's in, it, it, you, to me, someone wanted to do a scientific study on this, uh, and they had the funding to do it, you would easily be able to prove the hypothesis that this variant, if there is one out there, and if it is so contagious and so lethal and deadly, it is primarily lethal and deadly to those that have been vaccinated, and especially those that have been vaccinated uh, that did not have a prior infection. Um, and the evidence is mounting on this. The Israelis, the Icelandics, 
Um, there is almost no incidence of any ILI in Sweden this summer, influenza-like illness. No deaths. They haven't had a death since June. No one's died of good old-fashioned pneumonia in Sweden since late June, much less of the corona doom. Uh, this whole thing would have gone away, brother, if it did exist. If there was a Chinese Communist Party virus in December of 2019, and then it came here to the United States and Italy and wherever else it went, if we just would have treated it like we treated all other previous flu endemics or pandemics or local uh, epidemics, it would have gone away. We'd all be immune. This would be over. So they have intentionally, this is what ought to anger people. They have intentionally yeah. prolonged this. And it, and look, they don't ever intend to end it. No, no, I, I think I think they're going in for the kill. But I I also think that they're not the smartest people on earth. Um, and I don't think they were cons they were counting on the, the amount of blowback that they've already gotten. So I do think that there will be people simply um, ignoring them and continuing to ignore them and resisting and continuing to resist. By the way, I do think that the thing would be with us still because it's a coronavirus. We have we've had coronaviruses sure. for a long time. It's not going to go away. Um, and it would, as that doctor, what's his name said, it's, it's, it's got, uh, animal repositories, which I don't pretend to understand fully, but it probably won't go away, but it'll just be another cult. It'll be another, another one, another one of the various different pathogens that causes a cold every year during cold and flu season. And you handle it like that, but no, they, they wanted to freak out. They wanted to advance a whole host of different agendas including gl globalism and including um but basically i think what right now what they're trying to do is get everybody completely dependent upon the government which you know so, some of us uh so some people are going to get there i i and i've got people around me who were a little frantic i got an email this morning from a, a lady that i know who works at a hospital and she's being told she's going to be fired if she doesn't get the jab. They do allow religious exceptions, exemptions, whatever. But um, so she wants me to help her with that. But the thing is, you know, I've got pe people that I know, nurses and others that I know are going to lose their jobs if they don't yes. um, get the jab. And and I did catch part of your interview yesterday with Eric Sammons, and he was basically saying that, yeah, you can get these exemptions, but it's really only buying us a little bit of time. I think what they really want to do is – uh, is something more more sweeping, more more broad, uh, wide scaled. But on the other hand, Mike, there have been you know there's a nursing shortage in the country. Yes. Um, so some in some places, nurses have pushed back and said, "Hey, look, well, you need us. Don't 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 threaten to fire yeah, us. Don't mess with you us. Can't, you can't afford to fire us. Where are you going to get the nurses? So there have been some places where nurses specifically have pushed back." and succeeded so we need more stories like that and we need the alternative media to be spreading around more stories like that so people realize that resistance isn't futile these aren't you know super creatures you know bill bill gates and company are not that much smarter than the rest of us in fact i don't think bill gates is particularly smart he's good with money obviously but I don't think he's particularly smart. And there are other people like him who um, are, you know, mediocre at most stuff. They're okay at certain things. They're horrible at others. Yet uh, somehow we've gotten our heads that they're this 
unbeatable force. No, they can they can lose, you know. And the other thing is, all the bad guys aren't all on the same side. Like I said at the beginning of the thing, you know, you've got different stripes of of of, um, of evil. Yeah, and you've got different agendas that are at work here, you know. The Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks weren't on the same side. Eventually, they, they start killing each other. And, you know, maybe if we keep keep enduring. Yeah. St. Thomas says that the main part of fortitude is endurance, right? right? So it maybe if we keep enduring and just keep on keeping on and not let not not just telling them consistently, nope, 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 not doing it, not doing it, not buying it, not going for it. And eventually um, they'll start eating themselves. They'll start eating each other well, up. Brother, I think what is daunting to many people is the, the sheer volume of insistence, the sheer yeah. volume of authority, fake authority, uh, I don't know, fake, misplaced authority that is coming down to bear on people. Employers, by the way, uh, Alex Berenson just tweeted out that, you know what big company in the United States does not have a vaccine mandate for its employees? Pfizer. Ha. Ha, ha, ha. And he got a hold of a memo saying that sent to Pfizer employees recently saying the company does not enforce, well, has no intention of enforcing a vaccine mandate. Now, why do you think they might do that? Because they need people to keep working to make the jab? <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe knowing what's in it has something to do with their decision. Um, what, what's uh, interesting to me, uh, and something that makes kind of jogs my imagination or inspires it, is uh, the Holy Ghost keeps validating my theory, brother. My theory about that, and it's not my theory, it's our Lord telling us that he was going to do this, but it's me saying it's my theory, um, that he would not leave us. That uh, I'm leaving you, but I got to go so I can send a paraclete. And the paraclete will always be with you to the end of time. He will be there. Uh, that the Holy Ghost is working here. He's even working through Pope Francis, I believe, of course. Uh, he's working through the, the bishops and cardinals that are conspiring to try and do whatever it is that they wish to do to tradition um, uh, and uh, to the ancient Latin mass and to people to practice it and these wonderful monastic orders that you have been talking about, what, three years now that were brought to an end by this pontificate. Uh, the Holy Ghost is, is working there. But where I see him working in areas where people do not see it is I see him working through some of the bad guys, and they don't even know it. I, I see him pushing their hand and going like, okay, if we just go out and rephrase the lie just a little differently this time, they'll still believe us, and they'll do what we tell them to do. Uh, many more, more people every day are going like, you said that a year ago, and we're still stuck in this cycle. I don't believe you anymore. Uh, and I, I see so many uh, instances where I where I go like, this is either A, this is the Holy Ghost doing it, or B, it's demonic pride uh, doing it. You can't po possibly go out and say some of the things. Politicians, business leaders, I sat here, Justin played the, uh, the conference, the news conference that happened right across the street on Monday. Justin and I sat here and listened to it. Um, 
And we heard uh, our parish president, we heard our coroner, we heard our attorney general, who's a sometimes attendee of our Latin mass that I know, I've met Warren Montgomery. We heard the chief of police, not the chief of police, we heard a, a, a constable or someone. We heard the head of two, doc, two hospitals. And I heard them all say the same thing. And there was not a kernel of truth in any of it. Now, how is it possible that people that are working at government and government through uh, 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 government's wishes being implemented without legislating through big business all sing from the same rotten, wretched hymnal? Can you explain that to me? How is that possible if there's not a central intelligence somewhere that's directing this? Yeah, well, I mean, when you, when you know that years ago during this current pontificate, um, Paul Ehrlich, who is the discredited, shameful promoter of population control, who wrote that stupid book, The Population Bomb, back in, what, the 70s? He lost that bet, too, by the way. This guy got red carpet treatment at the Vatican. Now, that tells you something, Right that these agendas are all interlocking. Yes. So, uh, you know, for some people, it's a financial interest. For other people, it's a globalist interest. For other people, it's a controlled interest, wh whatever. Um, they, uh, but but you, you have these interlocking uh, agendas at work here. Uh, and Paul Ehrlich is up to his eyeballs in po the population control thing. And the fact that this man, who is a complete enemy of the church's moral theology, um, when it comes to the, the issues of abortion and birth control specifically, uh, this man gets red carpet treatment at the Vatican. That would not have happened in previous pontificates. Uh, it shows you that there is, uh, among the uh, upper echelons of th those in, in, in power currently, uh, there is an interest in these regimes. So, yes. yeah, they're, they're, they're singing from the same hymn sheet because they're passing them around in the back doors of those meet meetings that they're, they're gathered together in. You know, they're passing them around in those, you know, secret meetings that they're having to plan events like this. An event like this doesn't just happen. When no. you get all 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 of these enemies of the church who are received at some sort of conference in the Vatican, uh, given red carpet treatment, uh, that didn't just happen. That there were all sorts of meetings that happened ahead of time, possibly at the, at the Masonic Lodge that a bunch of the Vatican officials belong to. Who knows? You know, I mean, uh, the Holy See has observer status that a lot of these entities, and you have Catholic clergy representing the Holy See at things like the Bilderberger meeting. That's not a secret. So these guys go to this stuff. They 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 rub elbows with the important ones of this world, and then they come up with resolutions like, oh, okay, let's do this, that, and the other thing because we're all on the same page here. And you know, then shortly after that. You get the same bulleted talking points coming out from a, a podium in the Vatican as you get from the 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 white a White House presser or you know Angela Merkel vomiting up the same garbage in Germany. That's they're right. all getting they're all getting the same talking points from from you know from central casting. <laughs> there you go, <laughs> central de uh, de demonic casting. By the way, I don't know if you heard. Uh, the Kennedy Hall show the other day, if you get a chance to listen to it, he had a guy named Justin Stam on, 
who uh, has got a, a YouTube channel. It's called Why We Fight. Anyway, he gave the most detailed description of the rise of Freemasonry and mafias. And he you know, goes back into Italy, but it says, wait a minute, mafias aren't limited to Italy. There are mafias. There is a Russian mafia. There's a Ukrainian mafia. Anyways, uh, he described them all as not only bad people, but enemies of the church. Uh, enemies of, of, of Catholicism. And uh, I'm going to have Justin on, I think, on Tuesday to uh, continue the, the this discussion here. <clears throat> so when we talk about central planning and central casting here, uh, we, yeah, we're talking about evil, and there is evil out there. Uh, and anyone that thinks that, that, that there's not a spiritual war going on out there... Uh, uh, <laughs> I just I, I don't understand how anyone can e can even hold that thought any longer. So in any event, we'll continue talking about all this, uh, brother. Get the dates for the St. Benedict Center because people need to start making their plans now. Oh yes, please do. We need we need more we need more people to register for the St. Benedict Center conference. Yes. Um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna put the um, I'm gonna put the link in the uh, chat room so people can find it. But yeah, it's it's going to be the 8th and the 9th of October. And go to the link that I'm dropping in the chat room right now and, and register. Space is limited, and we want to make sure it's limited as quickly as possible. So <laughs> sign up. <laughs> How, how's that for making the agenda obvious? Yes, uh, brother will be there. I will be there. You'll get to meet sister, all the sisters. And the brothers and the great people of Richmond, New Hampshire. Um, it's a great time. You all should make plans to go October the 8th and uh, the 9th. And it's a great time of year to be in New Hampshire. Foliage oh, yes. or it's foliage. Beautiful. Foliage time. The, the, the foliage is gorgeous. <laughs> all right. Brother, thank you very much. We'll, uh, we will talk soon. Thank you, Mike. God, God bless, bless you. you. All right. God bless the audience. All right, thank you. Uh, that's Brother Andre Marie from the St. Benedict Center and host of Reconquest Radio. <laughs> All right, brother, thank you very much. We'll uh, we will talk soon. Thank you, Mike. God, God bless, bless you. you. All right, God bless the audience. All right, thank you. Uh, that's Brother Andre Marie from the St. Benedict Center and host of Reconquest Radio.